Welcome to the Well Workplaces podcast, where we have authentic conversations with health and wellbeing leaders that are on a mission to inspire healthy change in the workplace. I'm your host, Tom Bosner, and this podcast is brought to you by Pinnacle Health Group, Australia's leading corporate wellbeing provider, who are on a mission to deliver 5 million health experiences globally. I'm joined today by Daniel Tester who is a financial wellbeing coach and advisor at Tribeca Financial. Daniel is someone who embraces life to the full, having grown a strong reputation within the banking and finance industry for his holistic approach. His passion for relationships and making the world a better place for people is is really evident, especially in the conversation that we have today. He's worked for large corporations like Westpac and BT Finance, and also now the specialized firm of Tribeca Financial. Daniel's focus, however, has always been on building the life that every client wants and and helping create roadmaps to make it all happen. This, for Daniel, always requires an open and honest conversation, something that Daniel also welcomes outside of work with his active involvement in various mental health initiatives and charities. In today's discussion, I'm going to be talking with Daniel about financial wellbeing in general. What is it? Where has it all come from? And how are people going currently in the economic climate right now? Daniel does a lot of work with workplaces, delivering workshops and programs all around financial well-being. And in the discussion, he talks about the financial well-being matrix, which is a really great self-evaluation tool for his clients to work out what they want and need. Are they really matching up? And is it going to suit the life that they want to live? We talk finally about the future of financial well-being, what does it really look like for workplace programs and how it can influence and create and open up more conversation in this space, leading to positive behavioral change for people and building and improving their relationship with money. Let's head across to the show with Daniel. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me this morning. Where are you joining me from? Are you in Melbourne, aren't you? Currently in Melbourne, um, yes, the gloom of Melbourne in the in the midst of spring, right before the long weekend, uh, is upon us for the Melbourne Cup Carnival. <laughs> That's a good point. The gloom, it looks a bit gloomy behind you uh, where you're sitting there. And uh, yeah, it's been weird, hasn't it? With my, my kids are all pumped for Monday night being Halloween. And I'm, yeah, I'm just not in that, not as excited as them for, for Halloween. But, um, but yeah, great, for, great, great to have a long weekend though uh, coming up. No, that's good. And and Daniel, thanks for joining us again on the the podcast. Really, obviously, you're a you're a financial wellbeing coach and advisor, and you work at uh, Tribeca Financial. It'd be really great to just to get straight into the conversation today, and and maybe starting with what is it that you do exactly at Tribeca Financial, and your your background in financial services, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Look, uh, from this perspective, I'm a senior financial advisor within the Tribeca business with a passion that sits outside of the workplace for mental health. And one of the key themes that I really focus on in terms of the work that I do with the clients that we work with traditionally, but also non-traditionally, which we'll explore, I'm sure, through this conversation today, is that it's very much around people's relationship with money and enter the world of financial wellbeing, which is a term that, again, we'll probably explore a lot more about today. But yeah, senior financial advisor, I've been in the financial services industry for over 14 years now, I'm working with a big bank previously. And um, found my way to Tribeca over the last couple of years and, and really financial wellbeing journey that I like to take clients on leads to the work that we do in this space and it's ever growing and it's really something that I'm passionate about because it has got such a strong link, money and, and health in general, but you know, people's mental health. 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's, that's, that's a great connecting point there. The mental health side of things. I didn't realize that, that about you. And I guess going into, you know, 14 years, you're almost veteran status in the uh, financial world. So, so great to link that passion with, I guess, you, what you're talking about there is mental health and general well-being. Um, I guess anecdotally, Dan, what I know, or Daniel, sorry, I, sh- I don't know you that well to call you Dan just yet, but I'll, I'll throw you Dan. Dan. <laughs> Yeah, we'll go with Dan. I think it's because it's got written there uh, that I used it. Yeah, we'll go with Dan. Sweet. Um, with with overall well being, and I know from my personal perspective as well. Like, if your finances aren't quite right, or if you're going through a really tricky patch with your finances, far out, it just affects so many so many aspects of your life, and and naturally can weigh you down mentally if they're not in order, or if you just feel a bit overwhelmed with it. I'm assuming at the moment. Dan, everyone and banks and everyone are talking about financial well-being or wellness. And it feels like for me as a, as a consumer of, uh, you know, bank accounts and things like that, it feels like that word's just come out of nowhere in the last two years, even though, you know, naturally we've been talking about it for, for much longer than that. What, what's the shift there or why, why are financial institutions talking about financial well-being? Is it because it's a big issue specifically now or is it a bit of a marketing thing? What do you think? Uh, look, in terms of the general commentary around it, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that generally a lot of people have bad relationships with money. It's probably not something that's spoken about socially, uh, especially in our culture as Aussies. You know, it, it's great to talk mm, about right. what the Joneses next door have got um, and the people next door see that and they want that, which also has a really bad connotation to then wanting to keep up with those people. And sometimes it's not even about that. It's, it's you know, putting the blinkers on and wondering what it is that you can do and what you can control. But going back to, I guess, the banks and, and even just the product providers out there, uh, you go through the COVID periods where there were significant amounts of um, compensation or, or support that they needed to provide, whether people had mortgages and they couldn't pay their loans because they were out of work or, you know, COVID handouts and all these other things that came about. And financial wellbeing was very much a conversation point around, okay, well, what is your relationship with money? Have you got enough money to, to continue to service the products or the loans or, you know, the bank accounts that you might have? Um, that, that's probably my observation as to where it has come into, uh, especially if it's aligned with a product provider. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what's the, what's the reason for someone having a good relationship with money? If they've got a mortgage, well, they're going to pay their mortgage back, aren't they? Or they're going to be able to afford to continue to make repayments. Someone who's got really bad financial wellbeing, well, there could be a risk on a mortgage book. Uh, and especially if we're looking at the current economic climate with rising interest rates, this is the sort of stuff that a lot of the banks are going to now see a lot of people going through extreme amounts of pain, rising cost of living. <laughs> rising cost of interest rates, overall really bad economic conditions for those who are uninitiated, but also those who aren't, uh, I guess, don't have a good relationship with what their current financial position looks like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a yeah, great explanation. When you say a bad relationship with money or, you know, the, the not an ideal relationship. Yeah, yeah let's go with that. That's, yeah, that's something that you've said a few times. Now for the, for the listeners, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Look, I think. And speaking from personal experience, I mean, as a financial professional, I've not been perfect with how I relate to money. Uh, in fact, um, the money scripts that I've had, I've been, you know, really fortunate where I've had family to, you know, financially provide a lot of things, which has given me this, this, like this mindset, which is also built into us. This money script or money story is something that's built into us from when we're kids. And so we see what happens when, you know, back then there was, you know, a lot of cash, a lot of checks. Not a lot of um, use of cards as it is today or even wearable technology where, you know, I was at the supermarket the other day and one of the kids was saying, hey, mommy, can I have the magic card? 
because he thought that he could get the card and just use it and it's magic. It just taps a machine and he could automatically get something akin to surprise or lolly or whatever the first <laughs> was. But the magic card was, was explained as this is, you know, how he can get something that he wants. So that relationship with money is starting early. Now, the not so good relationship with money may be that you could have had some, a bad uh, run of uh, you know, business or, or lost a job or it could be somewhat of a, you, you're a very cautious person, so you don't like to um, use your money in a way that's positive or gives you fulfillment in life. Um, or you could be very much someone who's very uh, like a money procrastinator or someone who's a devotee. Um, there's a range of different scripts that we can talk about, but these are the people that are glorifying their life by, you know, overspending and showing with, you know, showing people what they have uh, and, and spending a lot of money as opposed to setting aside a budget and saving and, you know, setting up for rainy days, having some contingency plans around money. And that's the sort of stuff that we want to talk about. We don't align it to product. We don't align it and say, okay, well, if you don't have a good relationship with money, you know, Tribeca or any financial advisor doesn't want to see you. We want to enact positive change. We want to provide the support for people to have that difficult conversation with loved ones, family, friends, and even promote it within workplaces. And outside of that, support people to make that positive change and say, okay, I don't have a good relationship with money at the moment because this is how I grew up and it's affected how I treat money now. And as an adult, as someone who has now got an income and responsibilities, a family, a mortgage, paying rent, and I actually want to meet some of these financial goals, which is a whole other conversation. We want to put money in its place. And when we look mm -hmm. at well-being, especially financial well-being, it forms such a small part of someone's pie in terms of living a fulfilled life. It's actually a really, really small part of it, but because of the weight that it links to in terms of the mental health, physical health, going to work and stressing about money, these are all the things that just change someone's psyche, their ability to be productive in a work environment and, and ultimately impact their ability to earn an income or earn money. Yeah. It's a bit of a, a uh, bit of a vicious cycle, isn't it? No, it's really those, um, I guess those archetypes or avatars of those types of people that you mentioned. So the, you know, let's call it a, let's call it a, a tight ass that doesn't enjoy, um, can't enjoy themselves because they're not spending anything, uh, they might be saving well, but they're not getting fulfillment or maybe they're not enjoying themselves. Then you're on the other spectrum. You call, I can't, what did you call the one that was the, you know, the, the one driving the Porsche farm? With, oh, the, the, the kind of devotee or, or the someone who's devoted to money and, and, you know, puts it on a pedestal and says, well, okay, you know, this is how I treat my money. I'm overspending. I'm constantly out there or mm. you know, someone like a money procrastinator who's also got a trait of overspending and, and, and doesn't like to associate with good stories around money. They don't like being told or they don't want to share what their relationship mm. is. They're the person that will go out and spend money and, you know, shout everyone uh, at the bar but won't tell their, you know, significant other at home that they just spent a thousand dollars on shouting around for dinner, uh, because it made them feel really good. Um, so it goes back to a lot of the psychological things that we've experienced when it comes to relationship with money when we're kids. And, and that's when it's stuck in us. And it's the behaviors that we then need to spend a lot of time working through. And that coaching of behaviors is a really non-traditional part of financial advice. Uh, and that's what we do at Tribeca when it comes to actually sitting down with a client, sitting down with a prospective person that we want to help, what sort of behaviors are going to inhibit us from letting them live their good life? And a lot of the yep. time, deep dive. And it's that conversation that no one really wants to have, <laughs> but it's the one that I absolutely love. And it's probably the most important conversation that they'll have when it comes to starting to unlock what they want to do financially and even non-financially with their life. Yeah, it's interesting, the psychology around it. And when you, when you cast yourself back to your, you know, your early years, maybe for 
in my age group, perhaps it was having a, a dollar, I think they're called the dollar accounts with Commonwealth Bank, which was you put a, you put, you do your banking at your school and you put a dollar in each week or something along those lines. And, you know, nowadays it's quite interesting. You know, you mentioned kids with the magic card. Our kids have said the same thing. Maybe we've got a, a brewing issue there, perhaps, but, um, but it's really interesting now that money isn't really visible and it's on a magic card or a magic phone that you tap. Yeah, that education around financial well-being for the younger generation is going to be it's going to be a very interesting and different uh, discussion and and evolution over the next sort of ten years, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think there's lots of great people talking about this. You know, the world of technology and technology enabling us as human beings to be really productive and you know saving time, saving money, efficiencies. But to quote a really uh, important person that I like to reference a lot in conversations with people, and I just love his work, you know, Simon Sinek, you look at Hmm. everyone, they're addicted to technology. They're addicted to their phones and kids, you know, the first thing that happens when they start crying at a cafe, mum, dad, whoever to stop them. And and that's putting an iPad in front of the kid to give them some sort of stimulation. And then all of a sudden (laughs) there's a credit card on there that all of a sudden allows the kid to press with their fingers to purchase an app or buy a video or then all of a sudden. There's no responsibility. And in fact, the parents are coming to us saying, why did we spend a thousand dollars on iTunes last month? <laughs> and we look yeah. at this and say, well, because Peppa Pig or this person or whatever game has come up and you've just got it automatically set to yes, that's not teaching them good habits. No. And then right in that point for setting themselves up for long-term financial or in this case, uh, success, but not, not so successful in terms of their relationship with money. Yeah. Mate, that, that's. That's that. Yeah, it's, that's a really interesting one, and and also I guess from um, just just an example of how tech is great and not so great is how you end up with five uh, subscriptions to five different streaming things, and you're like, how the hell did we end up with yeah. Disney, Netflix, um, binge, you know, <laughs> a, a KO? Well, I, I want to keep KO, <laughs> but the rest, uh, you know, like how do we end up there? And it's it's yeah, it's it's quite interesting how tech is is helpful, but also maybe not helpful from a financial well-being and education uh, perspective as well. Um, Dan, you're doing a lot of work with workplaces and, and you know, after today's chat, you're off to, to speak to another workplace about financial well-being and, and how important it is. With those workplaces, where do you start the conversation? Is it, is it really a case of what is financial well-being? Is that where, as basic as it starts when you start the conversation with, with clients in that space? 100%. Being able to define what financial well-being is outside of that product conversation that we spoke about earlier is probably one of the key elements to it, especially when it comes to the responsibilities that a lot of corporates that are coming to talk to us about that they'd like to provide staff and, and from that education point of view. So education, what financial well-being is, probably one of the biggest parts of it. And, and to touch on that, it's talking about two key emotions that I guess drive the corporate environment and even the employees when it comes to their own personal relationships with finances. The first one is having a sense of security or feeling secure with how, you know, you can meet your, your needs in your life, the obligations that you have, and then also being able to look long-term and say, okay, well, have I got protection if I was off work for a short period of time or had to pay for some small things at home that break down or longer term, if I was off work permanently and going back to the, the, the needs and then versus the wants in life, which is the freedom to enjoy your life. Am I going out and enjoying myself on a Friday night? Um, not so much because of the weather, but because financially I'm able to do so. Um, and then looking longer term, have I got really big, uh, goals that I want to achieve and I'm actually on track to, to achieving those. And that hook of having that conversation is probably the first part where it 
a lot of employers are looking at it saying, well, we don't know what our staff want. They come to work, we pay them for their time and their, their efforts and, and they get money. But what are they doing with that money? Not that we need to be controlling that, but we'd love to know that they're responsible and they're doing the right things and they're setting themselves up because ultimately it's all about wellness. It's all about looking after people. And if they're giving back to the business, it's a really good way for them to start showing to give some care and love and education into that world of, okay, this is what you could be doing and actually enjoying more of your life and having money form its rightful place, which is again, a really small piece of that pie around well-being and wellness. That sounds very good, like a very good start for a lot of workplaces. And, and I guess, you know, going back maybe five years, even financial well-being in a workplace setting, I don't know that it was talked about, or if it was, it was very early days. Yeah. I think as well, if you consider the last few years of COVID and just rapidly changing workplaces and economic environments, it seems like workplaces are now entering this conversation and understanding that real strong connection between financial well-being, mental well-being, social well-being. There's there's obviously a lot of pillars of well-being. Financial one, actually, I, I kind of, when I speak of it, I always say that it's like, if that's just a bit NQR, it's like a domino effect into those other areas of your life, which can inhibit uh, a lot of progress, even social well-being. If you're financially stressed, you're not going to be as well connected and your relationships can be really impaired, especially in things. You know, I, I don't know the stats around divorces, but I'd imagine that financial, there's a financial element there where thing, if things go wrong or they're a little bit NQR, I'd say finances might be part or part of, of a broader problem perhaps, but it's, yeah, it's quite interesting when you start considering the broader impact of financial wellbeing. Dan, is there an exercise as well called the financial wellbeing matrix? Is that something, is that what you were just talking about there, that sort of needs and wants? Yeah, 100%. So um, one of the exercises that we get the the participants in the room and, and that goes all the way from, you know, the senior leaders in a business, even, you know, we've had CEOs join our calls and conferences to really dive into what it is and you know, that we're, we're talking about all the way down to, you know, the, the front end staff who are customer facing or, you know, on the phones dealing with clients who are going through their own challenges, you know, over the last few years as well. So, uh, the financial wellbeing matrix talks about that sense of security, freedom of choice breakdown. We've got those four quadrants looking in the present and what we have in terms of the relationship in terms of control of finances, the freedom of choice to then use money in the now. And what the relationship is, is it's a score 10 self-reflective. Am I killing it in the current time, or am I feeling really stressed and overwhelmed? And then drawing a line in the sand and looking into the future. Well, how do you feel about your future control and security? And then looking at the fact of, okay, well, if you're having freedom now, is that coming at the cost of a long-term goal that you're trying to achieve? Um, or, you know, are you feeling that you're on track to meet those bigger goals whilst also enjoying your life now? And it's a really hard conversation because even sitting down with uh, those in a room and I've had people reflect on it internally when they're sitting with their friends at work and so many are like, I feel like I earn money. I feel like we go out and enjoy life. But if I had to draw a line and look to the future, I bury my head in the sand because I don't know what that looks like. And that also then leans into the next type of work that we do, which is around planning and goal setting about what a good life looks like. And again, having those goals, having those motivators forms mm -hmm. one part of a really small piece of a pie, but you look at the health, wealth, and happiness of people. Um, there's all these other offshoots to wellbeing that you started to talk about. And again, money forms such a small piece of that pie, but it's such a heavy weight that everyone carries around in that backpack. It's a huge rock. Absolutely. And, you know, even if you, I remember doing some back at university doing sociology, I've probably, well, can I say that word properly? Basically looking at the, you know, like people with low socioeconomic status versus those with high. And basically there was a really strong link between low socio 
economic status and health outcomes overall as well. I'm not smart enough to remember the real stats on that. However, there's just such a strong correlation there that that it really, um, you know, made you think around well, access to healthcare, all of those things. There's a lot of there's a lot of macro environment sort of factors that contribute to that as well. With your clients, Dan, that you have at Tribeca, um, and we, we've we've talked about the workshops and the the programs that you're doing workplaces mm-hmm. for individuals that come in. What would be their biggest challenge? Is it planning? Is it behaviors or is it a bit of everything if you could sort of uh shed some light on that one yeah that's a really it's it's a hard question to answer to put sort of one category into it but we get someone who comes in who wants to start investing uh or someone who comes in and they earn a lot of money but at the end of the month they've got a you know they've got nothing in their bank account and the conversation is to okay well what do you want to get out of this experience with us it's really exploring and understanding what it is they want and then our role as professional financial advisors is to extract as much information as we can by questioning techniques and understanding it and having the bravery um, and being bold and screwing the status quo of, you know, putting money into an investment just to have an investment return. Well, what's the goal that sits behind that? You know, peeling back the onion, going layer by layer into the, the, the core saying, well, what is it that you want out of this and why? And even that money conversation when you're sitting across from a couple, there's probably two people in the room that have got two money stories. They just don't know mm-hmm. it or they haven't spoken about it. And it can be really confronting. In fact, I've probably spent more time in front of clients where we have that difficult conversation and you can easily see and unpack the fact that one person is the spender, the other person is the saver. And it's about going above and beyond and saying, okay, well, given that this is the case and we don't want to label you, but we'd certainly want to spend the time and the discomfort of, okay, well, if your behaviors are impacting your long-term goals, how do you think that's going to make you feel? long-term. And if that's a married couple, you talk about the divorce rates, a lot of the issues spawning from finance attribute to the higher divorce rates in, in a lot of circumstances, because everyone's unhappy about money and not, not actually talking about it, or someone's got a really bad behavior that impacts the relationship. So it's really, it's a really hard thing to put a finger on to say it's one specific thing, but it all comes back to that financial wellbeing conversation. And then I can get from there. Cause that's how you can clearly set goals. Um, you can have really clear conversations. You can improve that conversation. Clients that I started working with 12 months ago, they were only going to be with me for sort of six to 12 months. And they were really explicit about that. And then I just asked them, I said, you know, we're going to look to continue doing some work together. I said, oh, we love catching up with you every three months because we talk about money now, mm. whereas we didn't before. And it's really just that check in to say, okay, well, there's a three-way conversation going on between them. And then I'm that sort of mediator in between and challenging them to think differently and giving them the confidence to actually go and do some other things or then bouncing ideas back off me. Mm. And that's really fulfilling and really a big part of what, what I love, what, what we actually do here at Tribeca and why I love what I do as a financial advisor and helping people is a huge part of my life, making the world a happier place for as many people as possible. Yeah, that's great. And it's a really, I guess it's a very much a coaching approach to, um, to, you know, a couple in, in the case that you were, you were mentioning there. I also imagine that for different life stages come different goals or different things come on the radar, uh, for some people, whether that's retirement or, you know, as people are maybe in the younger years thinking or perhaps considering buying a house. So there's other, there's all those different, you know, uh, different life events that occur along the journey as well. Dan, I'm wondering as well, just with workplace wellbeing or in this case, financial wellbeing and the things that you're doing at Tribeca, 
Where do you see that come? Like, you know, at the moment, it's obviously the infancy of financial well-being. I think, anyway, in workplace settings where it's coming into the the workplace and people are opening up conversations and and kicking down doors in in um, hypothetically to create that great conversation around finances. Yeah. Where do you think it goes from here? Obviously, on the over the next five years, sort of, so if you could sort of uh, forecast ahead, where do you think it ends up? Well, I think it's like an iceberg, right? We're at the surface level, and you know the the picture of, um, and those watching and listening at home. You, you look at any of the analogies that talk about the iceberg impact, and what is not visible is really the big part of what we can see in the industry around financial literacy. Um, especially around helping people make good, smart financial decisions with economic environments that we're going through and probably just getting people to do the, do the doing, sitting down, working through a budget. Budgets aren't fun. So why don't you use the technology? And there's lots of technology available out there to help link to your bank account, to give you a, an idea as to what's coming in and what's going out and really diving into that. And not many people are using cash these days, so they're not physically exchanging money. Um, but then we look at the next five years and I think there's lots of workplaces that are going to realize, well, from a mental health and well-being perspective, money is going to be a significant contributor to poor performance and productivity. And if people are coming to work unhappy, and that's a result of poor relationships at home, fighting about money, or even just their general, you know, they're coming to work to earn money to, to live a life. That's a really important part to start thinking about how are we helping and supporting our employees the people that are investing and investing themselves in our business to actually then take a step forward and say, okay, we want to be the ones to help, you know, demystify and, and, and you know, destigmatize the stress around, you know, mental health, but also what money does to that. And that's where we can come in. And that's what I love to do. And if I can sit in front of someone and start the conversation, even if it doesn't change, you know, significant behaviors straight away, but they can start conversing when they haven't before. Well, that's a significant shift. That's moving from zero to one instantaneously. And then the only way is up from there. And it's up to them to do that. And, and it's up to the, the businesses to want to do that because it could come at a really significant cost later on down the track if they don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a confronting conversation that maybe that initial questioning, but, but yeah, if you get someone from zero to one in the behavioral change sort of, uh, matrix if you like it's it's sort of a, a kick to the next thing which is really consideration and considering behaviors and considering changing perhaps exactly. uh, perhaps changing behavior which is uh, we, I, I couldn't agree more with you being in the health field you know sometimes people come in and say uh, you, you, like it, it's not groundbreaking stuff um if you look at it from afar but it actually is as well so the small things can create big big change dan one thing we had at our workplace few years ago we had some financial well-being training uh in internally and we've got we had a youngish team at the time it was just what i wanted to share with you is how good it was just to open up that conversation <laughs> because it because of the the people that were in the room we had some older team members with some younger ones that were kind of new and what actually happened was which i didn't expect i thought it might be a session where everyone just goes into their own world of uh, thinking about it everyone started talking. So we started, you know, things that the senior guys were talking about things like super and like all the stuff, the younger guys wanted to, to know about and buying houses. And it was really in that group environment. It basically became a group coaching slash therapy session for the team. And 
I was in the room as well. So it was just great to learn about what people were thinking and considering. And if you're a employer, it's not like, oh, you do this and then you need to, uh, that means you need to pay everyone more money. It's actually just that education piece that is completely missing most of the time. Let's, let's be honest. So yeah, I thought I'd share that one with you. And conversation to that point, I think, and, you know, in the mental health space that I've worked in outside of this from a, a I guess, a charitable and, and giving and, and having a buddy, I'm working with an organization that the biggest focus is all about having conversation and talking and being a buddy and a friend to people to actually have a conversation. And that's no different to having a money conversation because talking helps and talking is so important. Um, so it's a really, really significant part of this conversation. And unfortunately, when it comes to money, you don't have to open up your bank accounts to those at work. But if you talk about the relationship that you have and say, yeah, I spend too much money. As a team, how good is it to turn around and say, hey guys, let's, let's do well, you know, all in where everyone brings their lunch to work for a couple of weeks and changes the, yeah, the yeah. behavior. And then on a Friday at the end of the month, let's all go out and have lunch together as a team. Like, it'd be like going back to school and say, oh, what have you got in your lunchbox? Or <laughs> let's, let's trade out a snack for a, you know, a, an LCM. I think that's probably showing my age now from back when I was. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, that's the sort of stuff that, that does change people's behaviors. It's, it's. Mm. That, that, that herd mentality, that group together and saying, let's, let's do it together. You don't want to isolate yourself. That's what most people do when they are mentally un unhealthy or don't have a good relationship with their, their, their health and finances are no different. Absolutely. Dan, thanks so much for your time. That was really insightful and I uh, love what you do at Tribeca Financial and obviously also yourself as a financial wellbeing coach. Mate, great to chat and uh, talk soon. Thanks for having us, Tom. All the best. Thanks for tuning in to another Well Workplaces podcast. If you've loved the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or feel free to follow us on LinkedIn or Instagram and search Well Workplaces or my profile, Tom Bosner. If you would like to hear more about our exclusive events and more about the Well Workplaces community, feel free to email me directly at tom at wellworkplaces.com where I'd love you to tell me who I should interview in the future podcasts. This podcast is really built on community input and built on the aspiration of inspiring healthy change in every workplace. Thanks for listening.